The Title Block, episode number three, Kevin Lamont. Welcome back to the Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. This is episode number three. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and here I speak with the director of lighting design at the Shaw Festival, Kevin Lamont. In the first half of our chat, we'll speak about his training and work at the Shaw Festival, as well as an introduction to Kevin's design philosophy. Here's my chat. Kevin Lamont is one of Canada's leading lighting designers and has created lighting designs for most of the country's theatre, dance, and opera companies. He has ongoing associations with the Shaw Festival in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, and Toronto's Soul Pepper Theatre Company. In a 25-year career, Mr. Lamont has been awarded and or nominated many times for his work, including the Province of Ontario's Pauline McGibbon Award, the Dora Mavermore Award in Toronto, the Prix de la Masque in Montreal, the Betty Mitchell Award in Calgary, the Jesse Richardson Award in Vancouver, and the Sterling Hayes Award in Edmonton. In 2006, and multiple times since then, he was nominated for the Siminovich Prize in Theatre, Canada's most prestigious theatre arts award. Mr. Lamont is the Director of Lighting Design for the Shaw Festival and a member of the Associated Designers of Canada. Kevin, welcome to the Title Block. Yeah, thank you, Michael, and thanks for having me on the Title Block. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> We're here in wonderful downtown Niagara-on-the-Lake at the Shaw Festival as the snow continues to melt in the end of March. Um, Kevin, let's just start at the beginning, though. You graduated in 1981 from high school and having grown up in Blytheswood, which is a town outside of Leamington. Is that correct? Uh, it is a town. I don't know that you'd even recognize it as a town outside of Leamington. But yeah, it's a little tiny whistle stop, out, uh, formerly a, a, a little actual whistle stop outside of Leamington, Ontario, with had a little train station. Right. So not many people are from Blyswood, Ontario. No. So I usually say that I'm from Leamington, Ontario. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair enough. We wouldn't be very Just close exact. to Windsor, and Windsor is close to Detroit. Right. Yeah. For our U.S. listeners, they yes. want to know where everything is. That's perfect. Okay. Uh, now, that took you to Niagara College. Is that right? That was your first stop? I did, yes. Right out of high school, I went to, uh, at, at that time, Niagara College had a theater um, a technical theater program, um, some some design, but primarily primarily technical theater, and uh, I studied all aspects of technical theater at that program at Niagara. And uh, at the time, it was a really good practical um, program, and I was interested in stage lighting and not knowing really what all that entailed leaving high school, but I knew it was something that I was. Um, interested in and wanted to pursue. Right. Did you do any of that in while you were in high school, or did you... I can tell you a little bit about that. I did lighting for some of my friends who had rock bands, so, and I had done, you know, I had a background in some shops and some electricity and drafting and all that kind of stuff I had. I'd never, it only occurred to me in my last years of high school that I 
could kind of put this together in one place. And I was also, the theater, uh, the high school didn't really have a theater department in a sense, but in the English um, class, we had pretty extensive theater readings and read lots of plays, and that interested me. And uh, my sort of other exposure to it was that my parents would take me to Stratford and growing up near Detroit but on the Canadian side I went to a number of things in Detroit growing up so I had a sense of what the theater was and what dance was I'd never been to an opera in high school um, I had an idea of it but uh, I like most kids I just had an idea of it. I didn't really know what it entailed but once I started putting the pieces together that oh hey there's art involved here and there's drafting and I know a bit about electricity and uh, and a long way to say that I did do some stage lighting in high school but it was mostly for rock bands and things like that and my drafting teacher was the teacher that was in charge of the stage lighting right. so he would kind of um, you know pick one or two of us to do that right. for these little presentations yeah that's great and Niagara College now what made you choose Niagara College is that uh because it was close or because it was of its renown at that time? It, well, kind of its renown. Like it, it um, definitely was a really, really good technical theater school and also through a teacher, a connection uh, with a teacher at high school who had pointed out to me it really wasn't on my, um, on my radar and I was looking at university and theater departments and universities. And he kind of pointed me that in that direction, I guess because I'd been specific about design and technical theater and he thought, well, there's this place. Um, and um, yeah, and I think, uh, and I also had an interest in in cinematography as well. So, kind of a grade twelve, I was. It was a toss up of whether I would study film or whether I'd study theater. Right. And I'm still really interested in cinematography, but didn't go that route. Sure, no, it certainly shares a lot of commonalities. And when you got to Niagara, uh, was there anybody was there anybody there that you that that uh, sort of clinched the decision to go into design? Uh, rather than, I mean, I don't want to say just tech, but it's certainly a different stream of to, to focus on design rather than that. In that program, it all started to become clear what the lighting designer did, what a set designer did, what costume design was, and what those responsibilities um, are. And I had one instructor uh, in particular, a man named D Doug Rathbun, who who's still teaching. He's in Calgary now. Um, and um, he was a very, at that time, a, quite a passionate um, lighting designer, you know. Uh, he, um, I think he probably his passion towards it was probably infectious, um, not, for, not just for myself, but for a number of people that went there. And, um, um, yeah, learned a lot from him. Yeah. And now, did you have... Made it seem possible somehow. You right, know? right, right, right. And now... Niagara College, just to talk about Niagara College just for a second, because the program is no longer around. It's been defunct now for several years, right? Was there a reason that you know of that it went out of, that it stopped being a program, or was it just lack of enrollment? or And when was that? It wasn't remember? lack of enrollment. Um, it was kind of a busy program. I think it was an expensive program for the school to run, and the schools now changed their focus that's more regionally based in, I'm only speculating here, but now there's a big, there's a major wine industry here in Niagara, so the college has responded to that. So the college trains a lot of people in vin culture, culinary, uh, hospitality, um, all of these things as the, as the fortunes of the region have changed. Right. Um, I see. And and now, 
is it just coincidence that you went there first and ended up at the Shaw Festival, or is that absolute coincidence? I, interestingly, though, I had I had been to the Shaw with my parents when I was a kid. I actually saw shows here and in Stratford. I probably should have probably should have mentioned that. Like I went to Shaw, I went to Stratford with my parents and to Shaw. Um, so I remember being here. And then when I went to Niagara College, because it's probably a four-hour drive from Leamington, like this was a, an, a bit of an adventure, you know, getting here. Mm-hmm. It was a, not a day trip. And, um, um, uh, yeah, so, it, oh, so going to Niagara College, then we also would come to the Shaw with the class. Sure. And also into Toronto, which I didn't, I'd been to Toronto to hockey games as a kid and things like that, and, and uh, to the ROM and the AGO and stuff. But... Um, I really hadn't seen any Toronto theater until I went to Niagara College, and then we would all um, take a bus into Toronto, and we'd go in and see the opera company, the National Ballet, um, and I guess I saw something at Canadian Stage, which, yeah, and Canadian Stage then, yeah. Right. And now, uh, at Niagara, there uh, because there wasn't necessarily a design stream, you chose after that to, to get more training and more specialized training in design, and you went off to the Banff I School did. of the Arts. I did, right from the beginning. That's right. Like the summer of my first year at Niagara College, I went to the Banff Center to to begin their theater crafts and design program. Because they had a summer program yeah, that was, was in between. It was right. concurrent with my Niagara College days, yeah. Right. So I would, you know, leave school in... May or whatever, and then head to Banff, finish there in August, have a couple weeks off, come back to Niagara, start in September. So it was pretty full on for three years, yeah, you know, of intense kind of training. Yeah. What was the training like at the Banff Center? That was was that was that focused on again? Was it focused on tech or design, or what was their kind of approach? It it was focused on um, both. Uh, at the same time, the program I was in was called Theater Crafts and Design, and it was kind of just that. You know, we were responsible for some uh, crew and craft aspects on shows, but as well, my interest was in lighting design, so then I began um, assisting as an assistant lighting designer there and got on to that pretty quickly. And that's why I went there, was to do that. And at the time, um, the Czech designer, Joseph Svoboda, was doing summer master classes there. Did you have an opportunity to interact with him? I I, I did. Like um, he was doing, he was in fact doing master classes, and I, that was you know we were only invited to audit those classes, so I was only ever privy um, to his classes that way. And they were in Czech, and there was a man named Mike Flug who was uh, who would translate for him. Yeah, he was an engineer. He, I think he was a Canadian guy, or he was Czech, but he lived in Montreal, and. Um, so I also knew him too. I'd met him, um, and you know, and then also, you know, you'd be at the um, with your dinner tray in the evening behind Mr. Svoboda, right. you know, that kind of thing. So, and but his English, uh, as I remember, you know, there wasn't like long conversations with him in English at all. And did you did you sort of have a notion of his kind of importance or his? Uh, the the weight that he had given theater design in the 20th century like that's like he's a big figure <laughs> well not at the time which is probably the best way to meet your heroes I guess right so no not fully but that said Svoboda was there Ming Cho Lee had been there as well like the Banff Center brought in a lot of uh, international um, designers and also the designers that were working there were of note in the country and in the United States and stuff. Uh, 
and but it, it wasn't just in theater design that school the art school at the time was in uh, you know there were heavyweights in music uh, in jazz in contemporary art in photography like it, it was a it was really a who's who of of uh, cultural elites in a way you know and I imagine it's it's still operating um, in the same way that it has I think since then uh, I imagine I'm not sure if you've been back there since then I have I've gone back uh, to to work on some shows mostly in a workshop since I've gone back over the years as what they would call faculty which means I'd be hired to go in and, and light a show I've done that on a number of occasions and most recently I was there in 2010 to do a workshop of a new Gavin Breyer's um, opera um, now after that wasn't the end so you, d- you went to Banff in between going to Niagara College after you came out of Niagara College you ended up in New York at some point was that right afterwards or did you and, and you were at um, a place called the Studio and Forum of Stage Design. Now, tell me about that specific, because I had not heard about it before I, I had met you. So what is that? Does it still exist? It, uh, it doesn't still exist in its format, and I really haven't kept up to it. I, I know that it kind of changed and became a scene painting. It started as a scene painting school, 30s maybe. I might be wrong about that. A long time ago, pre-war. Um, which would have been the theories, <laughs> and uh, um, it then kind of ended. Uh, the director was a man named Lester Polakoff, who was kind of um, a legend in the sort of American theater, New Yorker, um, had begun as a scene painter, started a, a design school, which I think started as a prep for the Union United Scenic Artists exam in New York. So if you graduated from one of the American universities and got off the bus in New York and wanted to be a theater designer, I think you went to Lester's to brush up on your craft that you, you know, unlearn what you learned at school and um, before you write that exam, I guess. Because that exam is pretty serious. I mean, there's a... It was at that time, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know so much about it anymore, but certainly in the old days, my understanding was that you had to write all three disciplines set lighting and costume so it was tough going and he was a kind of taskmaster scenic artist too and I think that union also had real competency they tested for competency in scenic art to be able to be a member of the union and that that was rigid and what was it what was the training like like what did you start doing was it life drawing was it uh, all of these things yeah it was a kind of a it was a conservatory style Um, my interest was in lighting, so I, he let me kind of take lighting one, two, and three at the same time, uh, because I'd had experience uh, uh, in Canada with things. Um, I did a script analysis course. Uh, I, uh, there was some drawing, like I was interested in drawing and painting, and that was certainly his background, so he encouraged that from all designers. Mm-hmm. Um, Script analysis was a really interesting thing, and he had kind of a method and a way of breaking down a script, which was really... And he had come from a um, history of scenic design, so he had this um, kind of ledger book that he'd go line by line from a script and sort of, you know, check off Im- images uh, as they would occur to him, or and also real practical things like light switch on. And But um, he had these columns where he kept a kind of running tally of what was going on. Yeah. You know, and we used to joke that, you know, if you actually did this process of Lester's on a script, um, you know, you were ready to direct the show. You wouldn't <laughs> simply be 
you know, yeah, uh, like you would know script. more than the director if you if you'd applied this to the script. Right, exactly. It was pretty intense. That's awesome. And the other cool thing about Lester was that he also had a connection to, because of his age and living in New York, to the Abstract Expressionists. Right. So that that also really captured my imagination at the time because he'd known these guys and um, and uh, I remember one of his processes was that you would read a script um, kind of straight through read act one take a little break like you would if you were the audience member read act two then at your potentially more for set designers but if you're a lighting designer that's so inclined and you have this kind of desk um, with your material available kind of look around your studio and look around and you're you basically make a little art object based on what you where your mood is at after reading this play right. so some so whatever material you grab um you know this becomes the media that you begin with and um what color that you then put on and whether that's acrylic or whether you you start dripping wax on the page or however you come about this little art object and make this 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 thing like a response to a emotional, emotional response. response exactly to to what you just read and i thought that this was really interesting he showed us a project of a of a of mad woman of shio that he'd done the design for and he had this really kind of like um um almost like a villain de Kooning looking piece that he'd created that was like 11 by 17 that was on a piece of board uh, on, on uh, masonite. And it was all scarred and scratched and everything. And there were big black arcs that were cut through the paint that he'd put on top of the board. And then he took a little piece of vellum with a three by five rectangle that he'd cut like three inches by five inches in a piece of vellum. Um, I, you know what, it, wasn't, it was probably smaller than that, but the ratio was three to five rectangle rectangle and uh, he started moving that over top of the painting that he'd done and anyway then he showed us his actual designs for it so the two there were these big black scratching arcs in his abstract piece which became almost roof structure in this Paris apartment where Mad Women of Shio comes from mm -hmm. all the costume the palette, all of this kind of stuff he picked up from this initial response to the play. Right. And I thought, you know, if you were, um, it, you know, it was an abstract expressionist way into theater design. Right. And Lester didn't teach it as if this is the way you need to do this. It was his process, but I was always, I've, it captured me, you know. I just thought, like, this is really something. That's tremendous. Yeah. So that's terrific. So... Did this, this is a, a pretty, uh, I don't know, monumental, not monumental. It's a, it, you're at a time of your life at this point where whatever happens has a, lot, has a great effect on the outcome, right? You're very impressionable. You're in New York I, I was City. young, too, and I, there is something in that that I, I was young, you know, because I didn't go... I was, it wasn't four years later after I left high school. A lot of this stuff was all happening between the age of 18 and 21, right. you know. I was pretty young. And I kind of think about that now that what, what would it have been like if I'd been older, you know. Um, a little more sober about it, you know. But right. it, was a, it was good. Uh, was it a... Was it a um, I mean, if I was 18 or 20 and I went to New York City 
for the first time coming from Blytheswood, Ontario, via Niagara on the Lake or Niagara uh, to St. Catharines, and then came to New York, that would be like a playground. What was the what was your response? Was it was was the was the Polakov school was he was he a demanding uh, instructor? Did, he, did you have to be there all the time, or did you have a lot of time to explore? I had a lot of time to explore. Going there was really an excuse to go to New York and right. kind of hang out and. And I had a good friend uh, who's an American lighting designer named Jeff Whitsett, and he and I had been together at the Banff Center. And uh, he wasn't going to Lester's. He was doing the United Scenic Artist. They had a placement for assistance each year that he'd applied to and got. So um, so it, it, everything, it kind of worked out. You know, like Jeff was going from Boston. He was moving from Boston to New York. And... Um, it, timing was perfect. We were finishing in Banff. I'd applied to go to Lester's. That happened, and uh, and then ended up going down there. Mm-hmm. Always with the intention of coming home. That was the other. Right. That was the other thing. I didn't particularly want to stay there. I, you know, I wanted to go back to Toronto and stuff. So, well, that's, yeah. That's that's. Thank you for that. By the way, coming back to Toronto, <clears throat> and not getting sort of trapped. I don't think I had a return ticket, but right. You know, I essentially in my mind I did. Yeah. It was the plan. Um, now you started uh, you started designing at the Shaw Festival in Niagara on the Lake quite early in your career. I mean, you had obviously you had done all this training quite early as well, so you were ready, more or less, I would imagine. Um, you started here in 1986. Was your first year? Is that right? 1988. 88. Okay, and yeah. you were how old? Were, how old were you when you started? 24, 22. 24. Uh, in '88, I would have been twenty-six. Uh, <laughs> There's a, a math quiz. Yeah. Um, '88. So this was only six years after leaving. Seven years after leaving high school. Pretty young, I think, to start here. I think. Yeah. Um, what was the atmosphere like at the Shaw in the late '80s? It must have been a, a bit of a heady time. It was before the recession. It was before <laughs> all the kind of trials and tribulations we've had. In the last 15 years. Well, it was the 80s, and before, like they also came, you know, yeah. uh, they hit the wall as well in 1989. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the 80s came to a very abrupt end on New Year's Eve 1990, <laughs> right, as, you, right, as yes. you might remember. Yes, um, <laughs> uh, what I do remember was also that the Shaw, the people that worked at the Shaw, were were younger, and the audience was really old. That's that was my first kind of take. At it, and I didn't know a whole lot about Shaw the playwright, but I started to really kind of like that immediately, and reading more about him, and um, uh, and he's in an odd sort of way young in spirit. The playwright Shaw is right, right. so uh, um, and but the the uh, the audience uh, well, they were old to me at the time, but they um, you know they were people that had studied Shaw in in school and knew him well and could quote from him and um, were big fans of this guy that was a major, major player of the 20th century, yeah. Nobel Prize laureate, um, you know, incredible uh, um, celebrity, right. right? We forget that now that he was. Sure. Yeah. Who had hired you to come here? Um, at the time, uh, Jeffrey Dallas had, was the former director of lighting design um, and Jeffrey came in 1980 from the Vancouver Playhouse with Christopher Newton, who'd been appointed artistic director in 1980. So there was 
Jeffrey Dallas, Cameron Porteous, who was the head of design, Jeffrey Lighting, Christopher, the artistic director, he brought a kind of Vancouver group with him. And, but in 1988, um, Jeffrey was the director of lighting design that year, but was also um, was also sick um, and with AIDS. And Jeffrey um, stepped aside, and Rob Thompson was appointed the head of lighting design. And I can't really remember exactly who gave me the phone call, but it was kind of both of them. Like Jeffrey wasn't going to do the job uh, anymore. Rob became the head, so I think probably technically Rob hired me. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were also positions to light the lunchtime show, which is still a tradition here. And they used to do a series called the Risk Series, which was a, in the courthouse theater, and it was something that would not normally, certainly couldn't carry 80 performances, and it would be usually something obscure. So the one that I did that year was uh, He Who Gets Slapped by Leonid Andreev, right. which is this great kind of Soviet, uh, um, well, it's actually pre-Soviet. It's a Russian piece, 1915 or 1916. Um, and so that Risk series would be plays like that, or Ubu Wa was another, you know, it was that kind of programming. Uh, so I did that. Um, and they were, they, they, the Risk series... When I was in the late 90s, people still referred to things in the courthouse as the risk. Uh, maybe it was not a risk, but it was sort of a tradition that people sort of gave the courthouse or gave it, maybe, you were given yeah. permission to sort of be a bit kind of quirky. it was a little edgier or, in there or something, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's probably all a risk, no matter what you do, do you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, especially these days, I'm sure. Well, or just, yeah, it all just seems so, you can't let that get to you, but it's like... Uh, yeah, it's all a bit risky, but yeah, certainly I don't think you'd you'd plan forty performances of Ubu Wad, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in our current sort of climate, I guess, mm -hmm. which is which is too bad because yeah. it's that kind of stuff that is the history of the theater and that we should probably be seeing, you know. Absolutely. And now you stuck around. I mean, you've lit. Uh, I think I counted close to seventy-five plays that you've done at the Shaw Festival, which to me is yeah. is a pretty large amount. Um, including musicals and everything else. Um, now, why is there one? And this is a question I think for people who are just sort of getting into the theater here. Why? Why is there a, a director of design and also a director of lighting design? Like, why does there have to be a separate? Why is it a separate job? And why? What? What beyond designing, lighting, or arranging the designers or helping to arrange the designers? What does your job entail as a director of lighting design? I can. I can probably speak to the, or, you know, the, this job didn't formally exist here before Christopher. It was Christopher that invented that, those positions, and they exist to this time, to this day. And um, I think in his administrative structure within the festival, he wanted theater artists at the table with the other administrators. Um, I think it was as simple as that, so that there were other voices at the other theater voices, uh, theater people, um, and not that the, not that others aren't theater people that work in the theater, but uh, um, stage management was represented, lighting design was represented, stage management was represented, that kind of, that mm -hmm. kind of structure. That certainly goes along with his, uh, the, the idea that this is a company, that it's not sort of hierarchy 
of Correct. stars. It is a it, the Shaw Festival is a complete company, and the whole package matters, and everybody in it. And we, you know, and with the Shaw thing, we have a, a great socialist as a patron saint as well. So, right. so, right. um, so it might have had a little bit to do with that. Um, and uh, so that exists to this day, and and Jackie Maxwell uses that structure as well, so that uh, it there is a kind of creative department heads within the department heads of the of the theater company, right. um, so that it's not you know the artistic director and then um, others who aren't responsible for making plays. Mm-hmm. And and as as the director of lighting design, and having been here since the 1980s, what do you think has changed in the in lighting design specifically, in the approach, in the technology, in uh, in the time? Like how like what kind of is there has there been a great uh, number of changes over the years, or have things sort of stayed kind of the same as far as the process goes? And, uh, well. Um, it's changed enormously, right? Every way that we do every single thing is a different thing, either changed by technology or um, one thing that hasn't changed is the schedule right. and the amount of plays that we do and the venues that we're in. That hasn't changed that much. I think if you probably looked in detail at it, it's probably quite different, but it sure doesn't feel like that's a lot different. But in terms of in, in terms of lighting design, the technology has changed the processes that we do to communicate have changed since then like it's it's been enormous you know how have was an email back then like it's something as simple as that you know like uh, (laughs) right um, we used to call it sneaker net when you had to take the disc to the plotter i mean that's kind of yeah even that from the 1980s is there was like a printing machine we used to have a printing room that uh you know that did the daily schedule and stuff right right i remember when they did renovations in 2000 and Whenever that was, 2005, I guess. I remember being at a meeting where the ar- architect was saying, "Why do you need a printing room?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I, you know, I think then got earmarked as a plotter room or a photocopy room or something. But yeah, what's a printer room? <laughs> exactly. Um, now we've spoken about this idea of the risk uh, being a play that's more challenging and obscure, uh, and may not be able to carry many, many. Uh, dates in its run um, but in some sense we take a risk every time like you said we produce Indeed. a new play risk taking seems somehow essential for new and invigorating art how do you find a balance between taking risks uh, necessary risks are necessary to discover uh, sort of exciting avenues in theater and at the same time ensuring that the audience does not feel alienated or left behind or part of the process or at the more basic level how do you make sure we can see what we're supposed to see and make it beautiful at the same time? Yeah, the risk taking. I'll just let's start there. Sure. We'll have to go back. That's a that's a loaded like not loaded it's question. question. It's, yeah. There's many things in there. Yeah, um, but the risk itself, I think that it is inherent at all levels of any kind of creation. Like you, it just is. It's just the nature of um, starting with a blank page, which in the performing arts the playwright does or a choreographer does the rest of us are responding to that um collaborating um i but i I must admit i don't think of it as as being risky 
upon I guess looking back at stuff it's um, I guess it is risky um, choosing to do this financially is risky sure. like it is a high wire act this thing do you right. know that discussion will likely come up in your you know as you interview other people like that balance is a strange one and there's there's real risk involved there do you know mm -hmm. um, but also the the rewards of of working in a creative way um, I find are are, are uh, rewarding in in, um, in a way that I you know financially uh, uh, could never be compensated for I I I would choose to do to make something um, I mean I want to be paid for it but um, <laughs> I, it's a the it's a creative thing and I creative people recognize that in themselves and you just um, and it's a need. you just go it, yeah. it is but uh, I mean in at the show especially you've got a pretty sophisticated audience I would say mm -hmm. um, but you have one that chooses to come to the Shaw festival and doesn't necessarily choose to see uh, you know a sort of fringe show or doesn't choose to see something really weird something is not sort of a traditional mm -hmm. legit theater play and yet a lot of the artists here I mean no one as people work here for for many months throughout the year but then they go away and they create other objects that are um, are those weird kind of things and and they may be what are more what they're more interested in they're more interested in sort of pushing the envelope of what is reality and drawing that I sort of talk about this idea of having a scale, and on one end is sort of extreme naturalism, and on the other end is this abstract expressionism, and, and they both say something about the human psyche, but they're completely different. And some people relate to naturalism very, very well, and some people don't relate to abstract, especially abstract expressionism very well at all. So how do you decide to, even if you want to do something very abstract or expressionist or strange or make a statement in a way that is non-traditional, um, do you have to fight that here, or are you given free reign to make those choices and 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 deal with the repercussions of the audience? And how does it respond? It's all in collaboration with the director. Most of these things, the and um, you know, and the the plays because of the nature of the Shaw Festival is that it is a festival. So there, are, uh, the idea is that there would be variety in here that it can go from something that would be potentially riskier to something that's more, that's not. Um, so that you can pick and choose. It's a destination, so you're coming for a weekend or... Uh, yeah, I'm not particularly conscious of alienating uh, in any way. Like, I don't kind of set out to do that. Sure. Um, and I usually would, I take my cue from the director as to what kind of direction we're, you know, we're going to, start down right. and I think probably as a designer and as a lighting designer I'm a bit more of a chameleon than maybe others I don't have one specific um, direction that I want to go in it's all kind of an exploration and the but you know as I've been doing it a long time naturalism I'm probably uh, it's a lot of so much of it, it it is kind of rooted in nature but it's not I would say that it's not my aesthetic so much anymore do you know I work on plays that are that are still set in that manner but it's not um, uh, 
I don't know. There's a kind of artifice about it that just I, that I don't get anymore somehow. Do you know, like right. the, the 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 cheap explanation is like you know carving rocks or something on stage. You know, like why do it? You know, right. like we're all sitting in seats facing in the same direction at this at this black rectangle and. Um, um, I so in that sense, back to the Svoboda thing and Cameron Porteous and people like that, I get the I'm enamored with the kind of sonography idea that um, that there's something more sculptural or that the design is responding more emotionally to what's in those texts with, rather than where they are, what they are, I guess. Thank you, Kevin. That was the first half of my discussion with lighting designer Kevin Lamont. We were a bit quiet, but I hope it gives you a taste of Kevin's biography. Next time on the Tuttle Block, I will continue my discussion with Kevin and talk about some of his favorite shows. Please join us in a couple of weeks for that. The intro and extra music is Podsafe Music by the 1990s called See You by the Lights. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It will help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the title block CA and on Facebook. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you sit on your bench in the shop trying to figure out the math on that impossible compound rake that no one has written a waiver for in the actor's contract. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. Bye.